Hi, hey, hello. Welcome to episode 14 of Trail Society, brought to you by our friends over at Strava, the number one app for runners and cyclists. I'm Corinne Malcolm. I'm Keely Henninger. And I'm Hillary Allen. And we are, I'm the only one not in my house today. I'm in friend, I'm in the the great Abby and this is that's, that's a Dylan Bowman intro right there the great the great <laughs> Abby Hall and Cordis Hall's house in Flagstaff Arizona um, where it is sunny and chilly um, but today we're diving into another Strava segment story and we're thrilled to actually let you know that the first round of these films and articles is now live you'll find them linked in our show notes and shared across our social media platforms including the very cool video of our own Hillary Allen. If you've not checked it out yet, you should. It's beautiful. It's inspiring. You're going to love it. Um, but more than anything, if you would like to subscribe to see all these features, to build your own segment stories, to track your own Strava segments, um, sign up for a Strava subscription for just $5 a month um, and join us over there chase, chasing your own segments. I guess one thing we promised last time is that we try to recap what we knew about athletes moving to different sponsors thus far. And in talking with some friends on my end, I do think that we're going to see either people re-signing for longer term contracts this season, staying put myself included in that, or, um, moving companies, maybe more so than we've seen in years past in part, because the pandemic actually extended a lot of contracts by a year. Um, they basically, you know, they bumped things out a year due to, due to kind of losing a year in a lot of ways. And so I'm wondering, I mean, Hillary, you've made an announcement recently. Can you share a little bit about, about where you've moved to? And then we'll talk a little bit more about kind of what's going on with these brand discussions. Yeah. So I, I moved over to Brooks from North face. Um, so, uh, I mean, if, if we want more detail about it, you can go and check over, uh, Dylan's podcast. We had a cool little discussion about, um, all things Brooks trail running. Um, yeah, so that was a pretty big change. I mean, obviously it's, you know, it's a big deal to stick on with the sponsor, um, but also to, to change cause it's just a, you know, new team, a new environment. Um, but I'm really excited. I've, um, a three-year contract with Brooks. So I'm super excited to to see, you know, what we can do together on, on trails and super happy I can run in these shoes. <laughs> yeah. And I guess I think that kind of stems from the bigger discussion too. And you, you and Dylan talked about this, someone on that, in that interview was like, why, why do people leave? Why do people leave? Why do we see changes in the contract world? What does it look like for the athletes? What does it look like for the brand? Um, I know one of those discussions with athletes is oftentimes too, like how much control the brand has or doesn't have over you, how much independence you have, how much, like, are, are you allowed to be authentic to yourself? Do you get to race the races that you want to do? Everyone's contracts look different. Like there are contracts that do say like, okay, this is, these are the races that we want you to go to, or we want you to go to two of the, of this list of things. You have to go to two of these or the world's your oyster. Here's your travel budget, you know, but you need to stay within that. So that it's going to look different. And I think that to your point too, it's, yeah, it's different phases in your life, different phases in your own, your own, not just your running career, but your kind of your personal life trajectory. And I think that that does play a big, like a big factor into totally. beyond, beyond product, beyond even like that, like necessarily like that financial commitment to an athlete. Yeah. And I think five years ago, you would have asked me like, if I would be doing this now, and I would have said, no, I would not have known that my life trajectory would have gone this way. But um, yeah, I think I got to a point in my life where I was able to consider the possibility of running full time and while taking just some classes and stuff. And so it's, it's given me this opportunity to kind of take the, 
take a little bit of a different direction with things. So it's exciting. Yeah. I mean, and other things too, I mean, as you mentioned, product still is a really big, a big part of that. Right. And, and for me with someone, we just saw my Strava segment story. I mean, I've had a lot of injuries, right. And so something that I, uh, something, a shoe and gear that I can run in is, is incredibly important to me. And so I think sometimes if, you know, there's new innovation and that's awesome that certain brands are coming up with different, you know, innovative technologies, but it doesn't work for everyone. And so there can be kind of a, draw, a line drawn in the sand um, and, you know, you're kind of forced to look elsewhere. And then I think it can also be an interesting opportunity with that you realize that there's actually a lot more out there, perhaps even better opportunities. So. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that anyone does when you're talking to like a manager of one of these teams is they say, well, let us send you some shoes. Because if you can't run in them, yeah. it's not going to work type of thing, right? And like <laughs> your contract with the North Face, for example, is super interesting in the fact that like when you started with the North Face, you weren't required to run in North Face shoes. Right, because so they didn't sudden, make shoes. Yeah. yeah. So well, they did, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, think about to back to like Western States in 2014, maybe 2015 when Rob Carr won wearing Nikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, North Face he, shoes or they didn't make great shoes, right? Like they had yeah. one shoe. And so, yeah, it's like first and foremost, represent brands that you believe in the products of because you're not going to be loving yourself if you're running mile 90 with your feet wanting to fall off because you can't run in the shoes of the company that's supporting you. So first and foremost, wear their gear, like their gear, like that's probably the most important. Yeah. And then I feel, I find too, I feel like there, there are different levels of support within every, in any company. And I like to say that they they can give you social support, which is oftentimes like using you in marketing campaigns, promote, promoting you, like, you know, you promoting them, then promoting you. And there are very few brands, I think within trail running that do that super well, to be honest, the social support. Um, and then it's financial support and product support. And, you know, generally speaking, like one of those might outweigh, I think, you know, Nike historically, for example, I think has been really good on the product support, but hadn't necessarily been able to financially support their trail team to the fullest extent. I think some of that's changing a little bit, but that's something that people have to weigh out, right? Like you're going to get potentially a lot of product or maybe you're not, you know, I, I, when I ran for Solomon, it was hard to get product at times or product that was the right size or product that fit you. And this was before we had, you know, pipeline issues with getting, getting product into factories and out of factories and, um, from Europe to North America, from Asia, from Asia to North America. So I do think, you know, you kind of have to look through those things and what you are getting out of it. And I think the pandemic was a good time to evaluate. What did you, what did you as an athlete need from it? And what were you expecting to get out of it? Because I think people go in, they chase sponsorships with this idea of like, it's going to make my life better. And it's like, well, what are like, is it recognition? Is it confirmation that you're doing well? Like, what do you think you're getting out of it versus what do you actually need and or want to get out of it? And I think a lot of athletes chase these sponsorships without, without having that fully conceptualized. And that causes like huge issues for people. But I do think, and there are lots of brands that haven't announced runners yet. There are brands, like I can tell you Adidas Terex, like we're bringing on three athletes, but they're all kind of next gen athletes. And then none from the U S we're bringing on two athletes, um, from the Southern hemisphere and a guy who's living in Austria, but they're all next gen young athletes that we're going to kind of, you know, hope to develop over time type of thing, giving them a little bit of support to get to Europe for racing. Um, so really not, they, they prior, like we were like, okay, we're re-signing all of the athletes contracts that are, that are coming up. 
So myself, like I was able to resign, Abby and Cordis were able to resign. Um, Tom was able to resign. So that was kind of a big thing was like, we resigned all of our current athletes, but, um, we didn't really bring on any new, any new names or any big names. Um, and what I found looking through everything on the interwebs that I found so far, and there are still, I think announcements to come, obviously like Keely's announcement is yet to come. Um, I think we'll see some surprising moves in the coming weeks still from some people, which will be really, really exciting. But big ones I think thus far are, um, craft added some new names to their team, um, including, I think the biggest names there coming in are Tim Ferrix and Eda Nilsson. Um, like what a good, I think that was a great grab for craft to bring those two athletes on, um, Kelly Wolf. I thought she was going to go to Dina fit. I was convinced (laughs) that she was going to Dina fit, but no, she went to La Sportiva, which I think is like a super, a, a great fit for her as like an all around mountain athlete. And then, um, two young guns are coming, are coming onto the North face team, um, including my roommate, Olivia Amber, um, who's a Solomon athlete. And then a name that I think we're going to have to watch out for this girl, Jennifer Lichter, um, won the rut. She's a mountain guide and glacier all summer, but she ran a two thirty-nine at CIM, like CIM this December. Yeah. Like she's or January, whatever CIM is this winter, like she's really fast. So really, really cool to see kind of some young, some young up and coming athletes that I think have a lot still to kind of like, we'll see what happens with them. They're, they're like, they're racing primarily shorter distances still. And then Adam Mary going to Saucony. And honestly, I was expecting Saucony to like swoop up a couple athletes and like build out their team. Cause they, they seem to be wanting to invest in the sport, you know, in talking to Katie Asmith and talking to Grayson Murphy, I was like, Saucony is going to build a team. And they've only announced Adam Mary thus far. And I'm kind of confused that there isn't, aren't more names attached to Saucony yet. Um, are there any names that were, that I missed in that, that you guys have seen in particularly in the trail, in the trail and ultra community? Nope. No, the only, the only thing I wanted to add though, is, uh, um, Jennifer, right. For the, the run, the rut, that was her debut 50 K and she ran the third fastest time in history there. So (laughs) really fast. Yeah. Mountain legs, right. Like that, like the rut 50 K it's got some runnable stuff for sure, but it also Mm -hmm. has like a ton of off trail scree nastiness Mm -hmm. and then to turn around and go to CIM and run sub two forty, like that to me is like, wow, like range, like very, very exciting. So we'll be keeping an eye on, on her, I think in the coming years. Um, okay. No real races have happened in the past couple of weeks that we are, that we've at least, you know, kind of been keeping, keeping our eyes on, but right around the corner, we got some golden ticket races coming up. Can you guys kind of break down there? Some big news happened this week with the cancellation of Tarawera. Can you can one of you explain kind of what's going on then with Black Canyons and Canyons 100K because of that? Okay, so basically what's happening with the golden tickets is that normally you have these races where you have two golden tickets available, right? You place top two, but now because some of, because Tara Ware was canceled, they've extended it to three uh, golden tickets. So one through three on the men's and women's side, um, that's kind of a guaranteed entry into, into Western states. So that's kind of first kicking off at Black Canyons um, 100K in Arizona and a couple weeks. So yeah. Um, which is exciting. I mean, it's a deep, it's a deep field if you haven't seen the start list for black Canyon. So I think it's pretty exciting to kind of, 
you know, also keep something local and not have to have the pressure of kind of traveling super far abroad, like early in the season. Um, yeah. Well, the goal, the goal for Terrawera being a golden ticket was not for Americans to go get those tickets. Right. It was for international athletes to get into Western States. Yeah. But, <laughs> but so it's kind of a bummer, I think, for some international folks or Southern Hemisphere folks to not have that opportunity. But, you know, that's we can't can't undo it. So I think I am happy that the board decided to not give those spots to the wait list for example, and to give those spots to another golden ticket race to, to maintain as many, you know, as much of a competitive field as possible Mm -hmm. for Western States race day. So Mm -hmm. that's, to me, that's very exciting to, to watch that art, like to to move those tickets to black canyons and canyons, hundred K. So in two weeks in Arizona, and then in April in California, Mm -hmm. well, those will be really exciting races to watch. I think like there's fireworks will happen out there. Yeah. I'm so excited to watch canyons. I'm going down to race the 50 K. And so I'll get to watch the hundred K in person. Nice. In April, Wait, which canyons? <laughs> canyons 50 K. April. Yeah. The April, not yeah. black canyons, the canyons and burns runs. Why we chose those two races. I don't know. It's very confusing, but here we are. Um, but yeah, there's going to be fireworks. They're both like very hard races. Mm-hmm. The back half of black canyons in two weeks is like deceptively hard. People are going to go out too fast. It's going to, there's so many fast people in the race. Like, and there's, there's this mix of like very established talent in the field. You've got Devin Yanko, EO Wang, Addie Bracey, Claire Gallagher. And then you have like some newbies who are kind of knocking at the door, like Collier Lawrence will be her first hundred K. Um, Keely's got a friend in the race, um, who's not maybe a stranger to this distance, but it'll be kind of, I hope like a kind of exciting debut, um, in this level of a field. Um, yeah, it should be, it should be really, really cool to see it all play out out there. I'm bummed. I'm not going to be there in person. I'm like really bummed about that. Me too. It's always so nice to travel to the desert this time of year. Yeah. yeah it's not warm yet. I think it's going to be like 60 all week in okay. Sedona. But so it's 60 not feels really warm to me. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, it's 12 degrees out here in Colorado. So I'm really excited to go down to the desert. Uh, so yeah, I'll let, be out let there. Let the Californian cheering. complain about 60 degrees. <laughs> not warm enough. Um, the other exciting thing that kind of happened, although the elite list has been more or less established for the UTMB races, um, coming up in August, um, because the lottery officially happened, they kind of find quote unquote finalized those start lists. And so Iron Far has done the reviews. Um, maybe we'll link link to the Iron Far previews for the UTMB races in, um, our show notes, but they're deep fields. They're really, I mean, they always are, but right now they are like the women's race at UTMB in part because Courtney DeWalter will not like, is currently not on that start list. Like it's a really, really interesting race. Mm-hmm. Like Hillary, Hillary knows she's in it, but <laughs> you know, it's going to be Caitlin Gerben and Hillary and Sabrina Stanley and Beth Pascal. And it's going to be Ragna, Ragna Devats. Don't guys, count yeah. her out. It's she's amazing. Be, I'm really excited because I think it's going to be not to say that like, you know, it's, it's Courtney or nothing, but like have like this, like person who set this like insane time on it, potentially not on that start list and have this like just insanely deep women's field on the start line still. Like, I think that it could be a very engaging and exciting race where I think we might have some closer battles, um, which would be, I don't know. I think that elevates the sport a little bit, which is very cool for a storyline and and getting to watch the race unfold, like type of thing. Absolutely. 
Okay. Anything else in the news? It was kind of a slow news week, I would say. Well, I just wanted to point out that there's about like twice as many men on the elite start list than women. <laughs> okay. So here's my beef about that. Um, not that I wanted to race UTMB because I'm going to do TDS on Tuesday, sleep all day Wednesday, and then do live commentary <laughs> Thursday, Friday, Saturday, because that is a logical plan and for the week. Corinne, it's great to be able to have raced and then you're just going to watch the madness. As a, yeah. I know you know this, but still. <laughs> I'm going to sit in the studio and talk about it instead of not sleep for three days. It'll be great. But yes, the the if you look at the start list, the men's list is far deeper or not necessarily, I won't say deeper. It's Thank you. Yeah. bigger. It's not deeper. Um, and I think part of that comes down to how the UTMB index works. Um, because when the UTMB index is scored, women, like your time back from like the overall winner, oftentimes is how that's factored in. And so like my 50 K at Yakima skyline is worth more than my ninth place at Western States. And so I technically as a sponsored athlete, as a pretty okay, ultra runner, did not, I, I could not bypass the lottery as an elite mm. to get in. I would have had to apply to the general lottery for UTMB. I could get into CCC, TDS or UT, or OCC, but I, I did not have a high enough UTMB index score to get into UTMB. Well, and I think that is part of the reason why you see more men make the clearance of that UTMB score is because like the, it, I think, I think what was the ITRA score, which now is the UTMB performance index. I think it favors men and how it's scored and just because there's more men that race there's more men that race but also i think it's because your utmb that that performance score has to do from time back from the winner not the female winner the male winner Mm. your overall position in the race so me being like top five at yakima skyline is worth way more than being 35th Mm -hmm. many hours behind jim walmsley i see well that's not being cool. 45 minutes back from like a yeah guy i haven't checked into race. mine but my western states got me a performance index but i i don't know i don't no, know yeah so any any race that has been a utmb qualifier race in the past that was worth you know three points or four points or five points that that's what those itra scores are based on and that's what the utmb performance index is based on as well you get because that's now a series race this is like the complicated utmb series that we're not going to help mm. unconfuse people about Western States is a, is a world series event. So now you have what's called a stone and you can take that stone and put it into the lottery. Okay. So Mm -hmm. what used to be races that used to be worth UTMB points, and maybe where this is like a really bad tangent races that used to be worth UTMB points are now qualifiers. And then the 30 races, they just announced the final three, none in the U S they announced two more in Europe and one in Australia. Um, Transvalcania, a race in Sweden in November, and then a race in Australia in December got added to that world series list. Those 30 races are world series races and doing them like being top, you know, being top three qualify you as an elite for UTMB, or you get a stone for the lottery. Mm-hmm. So they basically inserted one more level mm-hmm. between most races and UTMB, if that makes sense. So you still have to do the qualifiers to get the points, the UTMB index points to do the series races to do UTMB. So they've inserted one more level in the playing field, essentially for probably for money, but you know, (laughs) it is. And right now the only world series races for the U S are Western States. So good luck folks. And, um, a race in Mexico in October. 
Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I stand by the decision for, for Western states to keep the extra golden ticket on the U.S. soil. So maybe at least, you know, we can get into some big races, but, um, you know, cause elites right to, to qualify for a race like UTMB, you have to run like these, these bigger races now for 2023, for 2023, you'll Mm -hmm. be required to be top three. Mm-hmm. in a world series race or top 10 in a continental championship race. And they haven't mm-hmm. announced what the continental championships will be yet, but yeah. that will be a whole nother thing where it's going to make qualifying for elites too. Also very hard in mm-hmm. which uh, it's further complicated as far as like you can, mm-hmm. based on if it's within so many weeks of UTMB, you, you can actually use it for the following year, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's very I don't know. It's, can I say it's stupid? It's a little bit stupid, but that's neither here nor there. And I think that that we can end our news, my news rant, I guess, for today with that. Okay. <laughs> so what we're going to do today is, um, akin to talking about Hillary's story last week and akin to how we showed, uh, shared it rather Logan Williams story. Um, in the past, we are going to intro an interview that we recorded um, with a really, really cool gentleman recently. Um, and we're going to kind of intersect it a little bit to discuss things that he brings up in it. It's with um, this really cool guy, Richard Isa from, um, he's a run group leader. He's a community activist in Philly, and he's definitely the life of the party. Um, Hillary, you got to lead that interview. Can you give us a little bit of a background about him and kind of what, what people are going to hear as we walk into this interview? Yeah, so I think the first thing that you'll hear is just genuine excitement. Uh, Richard, um, he he just has so much love for the community of running. And I think that's the one thing that really spoke to me about his segment story film, the broader topic of community. But he leads this, it's a run crew in Philly. And we talk about, you know, how that got started and what impact he's making from, you know, a social issue standpoint, um, you know, when things happen in the world, how do we show up for one another? and how we can continue to do that, um, you know, for, for future, you know, generations to come, but use running as a means to do this. And it can be really powerful. Um, but so that's kind of, that's kind of the main issue we talk about and we go on many tangents, but also, you know, diversity in sport and what that looks like and how, you know, we can support diversity and what that looks like from, you know, us coming as three white women, you know, how, how can we actually show up for others and actually increase diversity and inclusion in sport and what that looks like? Uh, I am Richard Isa Bukhari. Most people know me as Richard Isa. I am the son of Agnes. That's my mom. I'm the brother of Julie and Jenna. Those are my two sisters. I am the uncle of Jada and Riley. Those are my nieces and child of God, first and foremost. So I said first and foremost, but I said that last. You get what I'm saying? (laughs) That's me in a nutshell. That's awesome. So glad to have you on the show. We're really excited to have you here. Yeah, I'm excited too. Can you tell us a little bit about It's a Run Club and how it started and mainly, like, you know, the importance that it holds to you and, and the community? In 2017, I had been running for probably about like a year and a half or so. I was like, I want and need my own. I run all the time. So let's get my friends together and run on Mondays. And it was called Running with Richard Isa. I'm telling you, I really love my name, right? So we would just meet on Mondays for 5k. I wanted to bring people that were new to running together and like give them a safe space for them, like 
get better and you know be together and do it as a community yada 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 uh for the first few years it was just my friends <laughs> so so it kind of just grew to this thing where mondays i got to hang out with my friends which is awesome because i really really love my friends and as time started to grow it kind of got stagnant um we'd have some people like some new folks come in and out but nothing crazy and as the years went um there was this one one Monday, I forget what exactly happened, but somebody was like, like it's a vibe and it's spelled ISSA. Like it's a, it's a dope pair of sneakers. So somebody hashtag one of our runs, it's a run crew. And we just started using it. And then someone was like, yo, that looks better than running with Richard. I said, and it just sounds better. And I was like, no, like, I love my name. We can't change it. But then we changed it to ISA. I say ISA cause it's my middle name, but everyone says it's a run crew. Um, we started growing attracting more people through the universe making some weird turns and yeah now we like train together and we have merch and we put on events and it, it was it's it's my baby it's my child this run crew and and i don't like to like give titles or anything but like being the founder and captain of it it's like one of my one of my proudest accomplishments is it yeah i guess i can say that <laughs> yo i've always been trying to bring people together in some way shape or form so community's just always been a thing for me um in regards to running it it's i was lucky uh a friend who someone who i had met and became friends with he invited me to one of their group runs so i didn't have to go through that strange time when like you're new to a run club or crew or whatever and sometimes they're not the most welcoming of people and every clicks are already formed and you're kind of just there and you know i've had a couple i've seen a couple of people have really bad experience so i never had to go through that and when i got my group together um I wanted to I wanted to make sure that was never a thing. Like if you come to run with us, like you feel welcome. I'm going to welcome you with open arms. I'll engage with you. If you're slower, air quotes on the pod, I'll make sure I run with you. Like you need to feel like you belong because that's what this thing's about. Um, so I always just want to make sure that people feel comfortable uh, in our community because that's what running should be about to me, at least is one of the bigger things that it should be about. In regards to tougher times, man, I, I always look back to 2019, which I don't, I don't really subscribe to bad days or months or years. But like if I had to pick a year, it was 2019, like just life throwing all types of curveballs. But the times that I got to just let my guard down and escape for a little bit were those runs. Um, and I, I tell my teammates who are now my friends and some like family, like you guys don't know, like, I, I understand you guys appreciate how much I do for the crew and the run community, but you guys have no idea how you guys got me through 2019 or helped get me through 2019. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that's, that's probably the biggest time that I was like, Oh man, this community thing is is something that I not only love and want to be a part of, but I I needed it. 19 was so shitty. And then 20 came. I knew that there were people who were struggling and they needed that sense of community. And if I could for one day a week give them a place to leave their whatever little ass apartment and be around human beings, because I think that's so important to be around humans. We're doing it. I'm in love with running and everything that it can accomplish because I've seen it get people through some of the darkest of times in their lives. And I've seen it get people from places of depression and 
uh, rock bottom places and running in some way, shape or form, lift them, whether it be them accomplishing something at a race or the community, which is what I'm trying to build. Running changes, can change lives. Okay. So that is a run crew that I want to be a part of, right? Yeah. We're, we're all going you to would say a part. I know. <laughs> I think, I think we all, have we booked our tickets to Philly yet? Should we, should we call Richard? Team, team trip, trail society, free trail. We're going to Philly to a Philly run club near you. That was, it's really cool to think about how, you know, run clubs, like, have you guys personally been a part of a run club in Boulder and Portland and anywhere you've lived before, before where you are right now? Totally. I mean, when I first moved to Boulder, I was involved by the running community there. Now, granted, this was back in 2015. So it was a long time ago. Um, and it made me feel so at home. Like I was moving there out of college, not knowing anybody. And I met this group of runners who, you know, we all have one thing in common and that one thing is something we all love. And so all of a sudden you have a bunch of friends, you have this community that you can like run with all the time, hang out with outside of running, talk to about like the good things in your life, talk to about the bad things in your life. And it it really like, it was amazing for me going there out of college and, and not knowing anybody. So I can, yeah, I loved it. Are you talking about Rocky Mountain Runners? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, because that's funny. That's where I met you, Kiwi. That's where I met you. Yeah. And I remember still, <laughs> I still had this like photo. We were on like a muddy run and like, I was just getting into to running um, in graduate school and I didn't really know anyone. So it's the perfect thing. And I remember there's this photo that you and I have. It was a super muddy run and we put like mud across, like underneath our eyes. Like we're like football players, like, Ur. and I, I just, yeah, I just remember those small moments. Right. And it's, it's, it gives you the motivation. Like we had, Rocky Mountain Runners, one of the main runs I went on was Monday nights. And so this is like the Richards, it's a run crew run on Mondays. It's like, you know, you have, you're dejected, you're back to work. And then, but then you have the light at the end of the day to go to this run, this run club. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're your community. They're like Insta friends They're They make you feel like you belong independent of like where you come, where you've come from, what your day looks like, who you are. Like, I think that is that's what's really cool about it too, is like, it's, it's come as you are. And I really, I think what resonated with all of us in this conversation too, is that like, man, not, you know, these run clubs or even just groups of friends that you run with regularly, like they get us through like the darkest times, the, the injuries, the, the, the loss, the death, the, it, maybe it's career stuff. Like you get to lean into that community outside of, you know, outside of family, outside of, of work, outside of all that stuff. And I think that to me is just so powerful about, about the running community in general, but also like having a, a club or a crew that you, that you meet with regularly. Yeah. And I think it's, um, for me too, it's how I've, I'm not someone who I do really love community, but I really like crave that intimate connection. So I think these, these run clubs or crews, it's a place you can meet people where you have something in common. It's already built into it. And then you can develop these kind of deeper personal relationships. And I think, I mean, the best way to get to know someone um, is a long run, right? Just share some hard miles in the, on the trails. And, you know, you can really, I mean, I talk a lot when I run, so like, you know, I open up a lot. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think it's great. Cause then you can kind of find things that you have in common outside of running, but running is that common thread at first. Totally. Yeah. And I think in, in Richard's case, um, Hillary, you quoted one of his, uh, teammates, but 
one of his teammates was saying how he was drawn to the Issa Run crew because of his openness to all people, no matter their race, gender, religion, or running ability. And I feel like that just really drives the point home that like these running communities that we create are uniting people regardless of what they're doing outside of running based on just their joy and love for running. And I feel like that's really special. And I don't have like as much experience with that because in Boulder, it was like a lot of just the same person, right? A lot of the same person came to these group runs. And so hearing his story and like the kind of community he's fostering in Philadelphia um, is like really, really inspiring and, and really gives me hope and ideas for and how to like increase the community in other areas too. Yeah. And I think that's kind of, you know, what, what is really interesting about his story and what we're going to hear more about building forward from this is like, how do you use that, that run crew to like show up with as representation in your community to like, to, to create that diverse space or to bring diversity into running and, and merge it with like the wholesome nature, nature of running, like, right. Running is this like very wholesome, wholesome thing. And I think that, you know, you can weave in, um, other experiences into it and, and kind of break down that, you know, oh, it's the same person that's coming to, to this. And, and part of that's gotta be community-based, right? Like we all live in bubbles. Some bubbles are more bubbly than others or less, but I mean, like are more, I guess, rigid than others. Um, so really, really cool to see what they've been developing within their, within their community in Philly more like I want, I, like I said, we're all, we're all buying plane tickets. We're heading out there. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like his take on just diversity in the running space is super interesting. Um, and definitely, obviously he gives a lot of opinions around this that I don't have as much experience in. So it was really interesting hearing him talk about it. And so we can cut to kind of like Richard's thoughts around diversity and running um, and how that has manifested in his life and through his running community. Um, now. Like there's a whole generation of kids that could benefit from seeing representation in insert anything, right? So when I go to races, and this is actually how the run crew started expanding, there'd be, I'm at the starting line with a bunch of white dudes, cool, whatever. And I cross the finish line and I, I always turn around because there's always somebody that I'm trying to beat. So like, I have to turn around and hug them. Like, thank you for letting me pass you because you served your purpose. God sent you here for me. But, you know, you, I, I start, I look around and it's just nothing but white guys still, right? Then some white women come up and some more white people. But there would always be this one other African, Africans can tie. My parents are from Sierra Leone. I can spot an African a mile away. Manu, this guy Manu, I would see at every race. And he was the only other black guy that would be for the person that looked like me that would be finishing around the same time. So that's how kind of we connected and we started running together. And that's when we started going to the track and then IRC, Ice Run Crew blew up. All right. But as I was saying, like it, it's, there aren't, so in Philadelphia, it's all, it's, it's a pretty black city. I don't know what the numbers are, but it's more than your average city. But you, like I said, you go to these races and it's just a bunch of white people. And then you, you break it down from myself. And it's like, I'm not the fastest person, but I'm up there. Right. So now it's even less black people. What representation does and somebody seeing me up there with them 
lets them know like, oh, this isn't, there might not be a lot of us, but there's, there, there are a few, <laughs> there are a few, this isn't just like a white thing. There are some black people that run it and it might light the fire in somebody under somebody's ass to want to get out there and test this running thing out. But without representation, like why the fuck would anybody want to do this? Like why would anybody want to step into this run world that has no one that looks like them, no one that they can relate to. And, and that's important being able to relate to somebody like, you know, like just imagine if there were like you were the only woman at every race that would suck. It would be the worst thing ever. That wouldn't be a space that I think that you would want to volunteer yourself to, to enter every single, I don't know. I don't know how often you trail people race, but you know, it wouldn't be the greatest experience. So, you know, having that representation and having people that look like you and, and you have something in common with, it's just, it's really important. If not for, you know, adults, but like the, the next generation of runners, you, you want to let them know that this is a thing. So when I was growing up in high school, especially, like I said, I went to a, a private Catholic school my whole entire life. And like, I can, I, I can name every black kid. On the, when we took the, uh, I don't know if you guys did this at your high school, but you take the uh, senior picture in the auditorium at the, in the gym, like it's the whole class. Yeah. We did that. And there's a row of black people. Like we, we all got together and stood there and it's like all the white kids and this, this row. And we didn't even all like each other, but like, so anyway, so the track team, it, it basically went like, Oh, you played soccer. You're black. You're going to sprint. What the fuck? I don't have options. Like I, <laughs> I ran the 100, 200 and 400 in high school. And I feel like I should have ran the 400, 800, like going up a little bit. And I never would have like looking back, I totally should have been running like these longer distances, but there was no one to, there, from what I saw being younger, I never saw anyone that looked like me running these races ever. So why in the hell would I even be intrigued about distance running? That's what the skinny white guys do. I don't want to do that. So representation could help that, you know, if, if there's a young black kid, that's not the fastest sprinter on earth that maybe wants to dabble in some distance. If he sees people that look like him doing it, that might be the nudge that he or she needs to enter that world. So I think that's where representation can play a, a, a huge part, uh, especially when it comes to like the, the future of running. Cause you know, running is a popular thing lots of people do it's very easy to do right not easy um you know once you add the race fees and the 700 super shoes and anyway but if you don't see the people that people doing this run thing look like you and are like you in any way shape or form why would you why would you be interested why why would you not just go pick up a basketball or a football or i don't know join the dance teams we're all runners and and it's it should be something so simple and wholesome and inclusive that everybody can literally do and and you know i i'm very protective of that but wait can i can i turn the table and ask you a question because it's something that and we you know we're in the in the in the world of being informed what has since 2020 when the world went to shit what has has have things changed when it comes to diversity in the trail world because i know nothing about it like trail running for people that look like me, it's like, yo, that's some white people shit. We're not doing like at one point, it was just a bunch of white people frolicking in the mountains or some shit. And it's like that literally that's some white people shit. I would never do that. But like one thing the pandemic did do is it got black folks outside and I started seeing like more people hiking and stuff. And then I started following more people a little bit. And I started following some people that look like me that are running trails. So from the very beginning of this thing that we started, right? Like this has kind of been what we're trying to get to the heart of, like what does diversity look like? 
in the ultra space. And as you know, as we've all said over and over again, like we're three white women. And so we can only speak from our personal experiences here and try to amplify voices of others to, to help, to help all of us learn. Um, but you know, we've, we've talked about that, right? Like what, what are the current stats when it comes to female participation or racial minorities participation in trail running? Like what, what have we seen in that? I think Keely, you pulled some really good numbers there. Oh, Oh, what do you want? Sorry. No, my thing just cut out. So I couldn't hear you talking. (laughs) Oh, that was really good though. I think it was really good. I know. But I cut you off. I'll see if I can salvage it. Do you want to try to say it again? I, no, but I, I think, think it's salvageable. I think it's salvageable. Yeah. Because it was just okay. the very end. So just current, like, and then, yeah, then Keely, yeah. you can just so kind of go for it. I think you can, I think you should be able to jump in with stats, basically, mm-hmm. is what I asked. I said, like, so what, what do the stats look like right now? But yeah, okay. I think Corinne, you, you were saying, I think where you got cut off is like, I think Keely, you pulled some really good stats. If you just stay, start there, I think again. you could. Okay, cool. Yeah. Nice. Sorry. It's Okay. <laughs> Keely, I think you pulled some really good stats on this. What, like, what do those current numbers look like for female participation or minority participation in sport or like in trail running specifically? Yeah. So, um, shocker, there's no real stats on underrepresented or, um, minority groups in trail running. <laughs> so that's, that's not great, but we do have some numbers on females. And so based off a study back in 2019, it looked like there was around 22 participant, 22% of participants in trail and ultra running were females. And so I guess if we think of that from a minority perspective, that means there's probably a very small percentage of underrepresented um, females in the sport. And we can probably translate over to males as well. So I'd say in a nutshell, we have a diversity problem in ultra trail running, which we definitely have come to this conclusion before. Um, and I think this kind of goes across a lot of different countries. One specific example I found in the UK, um, was that there's not a huge, um, black population in the UK, but they, they make up about four to 5% of the UK. And they found that the start um, percentage of blacks at races was actually less than 1%. And so they've started a group there. That seems really interesting um, that I will link to in this note, show notes here. Um, And they are really trying to increase participation in the UK. We've also seen a ton of these groups pop up in the United States to try to start increasing diversity in trail running in the United States. And so I think we know there's a problem. People are now finally starting to try to make changes in the space. So I think we're trending in the right direction, but I don't feel good at where we're at. Yeah. We had a really cool shout out, um, this week on Instagram. I don't know if you all saw it from Gemma. Um, but she, I'm just going to read her Instagram post. I think that's fair. Um, it's public. So here we go. It says, I was shocked to learn based on numbers, these legendary women of the sport have crunched. That's you, Keely, our number cruncher, that in 2019, only 15% of the finishers of UTMB's CCC were women. We don't know what we don't know how tiny the percentage of those women were in fact women of color because no one asks that sort of information in registration. But you can imagine, if you notice such things in the sport around you, how few that would actually be. This has given my entry as a woman and a woman of color a whole new meaning to me. I got some serious representing to do. So she will be at UTMB CCC in August. And I I was like, Oh, we're going to be cheering for you. So that's really cool though, that like people are seeing that instead of seeing that as, you know, it's it's hard to be the first, it's hard to be the first. It's hard to be the only, we've heard that from our listeners, um, particularly our listeners of color. It's, it's a really uncomfortable 
position to have, I think in probably any field sport or career or, or whatever it might be, but to, to take that and turn it to like, this representation matters. I am going to be that person like that to me is like very, very powerful and like many, many kudos and like support and applause and whatever we can do to encourage and continue to support people wanting to be that representation so that other, um, individuals, so younger athletes see themselves on the trails, see themselves represented in sport. Like that to me is like, so cool and so powerful. Like get like seeing that tag come through on Instagram. I was like, like, this is, this is what we're working towards. And I mean, I can speak to it from, you know, as a woman in sport that it's so important to be able to see people like you out on the trails. I mean, someone that inspired me to get out there and try trail running, Emily Forsberg and Anna Frost. And, you know, I felt like I could see myself in them. And so it encouraged me to do it. So that is from my perspective of why representation matters. And I can't help but think of Joe Gray. I mean, he's been doing some incredible things um, in, in the community. And he's one of, I mean, he's he's a two-timer in the Colorado Hall of Fame for runner, running. He it, mountain runner, like he has an incredible, you know, pedigree and just an incredible race resume. Um, and he's doing a really good thing for using his platform and, you know, trying to increase diversity and representation um, in sport. I mean, he started this grassroots program um, called the Project Inspired Diversity in 2019. And so he's working to launch trail running camps and with race directors um, like Justin and Denise Ricks. Um, they have this huge race series and to help, you know, give young minorities and low income families exposure to the outdoors. Um, so I think, you know. It's ironic because, you know, you see you want representation matters, but someone like Joe Gray, he's been outward and public about the struggles that he's had with with him himself getting sponsored. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And like Mario Mendoza has claimed similar things where he's had similar running resumes to a lot of other white male runners in the sport. And he's been was unable for quite some time to land like a pretty good running contract. And since then has landed a good deal, obviously with Brooks, but he said it took him a lot longer than his male counterparts that were, that were doing similar racing to him. Yeah. And then we're seeing that a little, I think we're seeing some really cool things coming out of, um, the Seattle running community. There is a a group that just launched, um, called the uh, Seattle running collective, Um, and from their Instagram, they value collaboration, giving back, bringing new people into the fold, the next generation of runners and centering, um, people of color. So I think that like really cool. I think that is, um, I don't know if it's led or spearheaded by, um, Allison Desir who, um, works, works for Wazell. She has a book coming out this year that you can pre-order now called, um, I believe it's called running while black. Um, and she's been a very vocal advocate, obviously for representation in the sport. So I think these are people to, to follow, to, um, to bring, if you, if you're not following them, I would follow them, um, to bring, to bring that diversity into your feeds, into, into how you're interacting with the running world and the running in the world around you. Because I think, you know, you it's, it's out there. And if you, if you're not actively searching for it right now, I think that's something that we've all been leaning into or working on over the past year. I know I have like my, my feed has changed immensely over the past year for that reason, just trying to, to expose myself to as many viewpoints as possible. Totally. Yeah. I think, I think we could all use a little bit of a kick in the butt to start to 
like do things that make us feel a little bit more uncomfortable and go out of our comfort zone to meet new people and to encourage more people into the space. And, and I really loved Richard's take on this when he started talking about how we could start to elicit change in this space and start increasing diversity and increasing our own knowledge about these spaces. And so let's clip to that now. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. And once you get comfortable being uncomfortable, push it to the limits. Just keep getting more uncomfortable. And what that, that can mean a lot of things, man. That, that can mean showing up to, I, I don't know what it looks like on y'all's end, but there, there are run crews that are people of color, like, you know, created by, and, and the majority are people of color show up to their run. What the fuck is stopping you from going to a different neighborhood to run with different people? Right. What we need to stop doing is looking at, and this is like all of life, not just running, but specifically what we'll talk about runners is like looking at the things that we don't have in common. You can, I, we, on this pod right now, we could find a million things that we don't have in common. Right. But like it, once you start counting what you have in common, Oh, you realize that like life's beautiful. We all can and should get along first and foremost dickheads we're runners hello like i didn't just solve like world hunger we're runners that's it <laughs> we all like to do the same thing and then once you take that one thing in common that that desire to get uncomfortable it, it's not as bad because you you realize that you're not so different and people you know you can find a common ground and you can start having conversations if you genuinely want to have these conversations don't just like have a checklist and it's like oh let me find a black person like oh what does it feel like like get get the fuck out of here if that's your move but like start having these conversations with, with the with the desire to learn and do better because all of us are out here. No, no one's perfect, right? No one's, we're all kind of trying to figure it, trying to figure it out. Even my myself as a African American in the United States, I don't have all the answers. Like I, I don't, I don't know how to get to the, the, uh, the great utopia that I think I'm going to see before I die. I really do. But like, that's a whole nother story for another day. I don't know how to get there, but I know what's wrong and having conversations is a start. So I feel like if people are more open to, to making themselves uncomfortable, showing up to, you know, to these, to events or runs, introducing yourself. It's so simple. Like we're humans, man. Stop, stop with all this. I, I understand like social media and these gadgets make everything so like, the, the connections aren't as genuine and everything comes through this damn device, but it's like, go, go talk to a human being. I promise you like, people want, I like to talk clearly. And I will tell you, right. People like to talk, maybe not as much as me, but like one, one instance, right. I, I will always, always ask people how they're doing. And, and the, if you ever want to piss me off, this is the conversation that pisses me off. Hey, how are you? How are you? No, 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 no. I asked you a question. Answer it. People just repeat, how are you back? Because they don't even process like that they were asked the question, right? So I'm going on one of my rants, but I promise you it's going to come back. If you ask people how they're doing and you genuinely listen to what they're saying, oh, you'll hear a whole life story. People want to talk. Talk to people. <laughs> like Just talk to one another. Have conversations. Show up. Um, especially when it comes to running. Like, it baffles me that that there could be like segregation in something so simple as running. Like there, I take a city like New York and I don't know if you've ever, I act like you're from like some other planet. Have you ever <laughs> been to New York? <laughs> I'm sure you've been to New York, but like folks don't, 
I've I've gone up there or I've mentioned to people like, yo, there's a crew uptown that runs every da da da, and they're like, that's too far. Like, th- make an effort. <laughs> this thing's like about making connections and meeting people, or maybe you're just no. Even if you are comfortable where you're at, fuck that. If you if you're trying to improve things and make things better, like I said, you have to get uncomfortable. Get in, get on a train and go uptown and go run with some people that don't look like you in your little neighborhood in the Upper West Side. I don't even know if that's a bougie neighborhood. Yeah, it's Upper West Side bougie as fuck. Leave that neighborhood. Leave. I don't know. I don't know what it looks like in trail running, but like, I there's got to be like some black trail crew out there. That, <laughs> so like, I, I feel like a lot of a lot of people listening to this probably hit the trails. Like, just make an effort to to want to give a fuck about people that don't look like you. Why would you not want to? There's a there's a saying we have in the in the black and African American community. It's 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 like uh, what is it? Oh, the getting invited to the cookout. Right. Like if like I would invite y'all to the cookout, that means y'all are down. Like we accept you. Let me tell you about the metaphoric cookout and like the literal cookout. Cookouts are fucking fun. We have fun. Like one thing you're going to you're, you're going to experience by interacting and getting to know some black folk is that you're going to have a good time. You're going to eat good and everything's great. Right. We we laugh. We laugh a lot. You like laughing. You've been laughing this whole time. It's on mute. It's kind of weird, but you're laughing like all of you. Right. So. You want to get an invite to the cookout, get uncomfortable, you know, make yourself accessible to some folk that don't look like you or might not. And it's not just black folks. I, I, I just speak for what I am. The way I look at it is right. As, as people of color, we want white people to figure it out. Y'all fuck this up. You figure it out. Right. But I feel like there has to be somebody like that. You can't Google the shit. I mean, you could, I'm pretty sure there's like some template on like how to end racism or some shit. Right. Um, but I feel like we make bigger steps if there are, if you, if, if I'm willing to have these conversations as well, it's not my job. And there was a point in 2020 where I, I'm like, yo, white people leave me alone. I don't want to, I don't, I, cause I did open up my, I, I posted on the gram and I said on uh Chris Chavez's Sidious podcast, like, Hey, 609-902-7354. That's my phone number. If you ever want to text, if there's something you don't understand and I can help you figure it out, like, and I don't have all the answers, but let's have that conversation. And y'all have my phone number now too. And it's, it's always open. It's an open line. Don't abuse that shit, but like, it's there. It's not my job, but somebody has to help or else it's y'all trying to figure shit out on your own. And I personally don't trust white people to figure it out. On their own. <laughs> some like some maybe but like there's there's some of y'all that like i don't i don't want you guys taking matters into your own hands um so there has to be some willingness to help as as african-americans and people of color um you know whatever the minority is there's got to be people within those communities and and i'm not asking this isn't a roll call like hey who's stepping up today but those conversations have to be had and it can't just be with the people who are like i, I guess the oppressors or like the the majority they can't be just figuring out figuring these things out themselves. There's been many of instances with the LGBTQ community. There's so much I don't understand. And if no one, if, if none of my friends that are homosexual or bi, if they weren't willing to have those conversations with me, I'm telling you, I'd be fucking clueless and making things up on my own. And that's the last thing you want is for my non-reading asses to start making up my own theories and, and, and resolution resolutions. Yeah. Resolutions to problems or, or knowledge that I don't have. So yeah, it's not my job, but you know, I, I I feel like the this back is strong enough. The good Lord gave me the strength to carry that weight. 
if you look at me and see my brown skin and then start judging that I'm going to pray for you on Sundays and Wednesdays. Right. But if, if, if it's like a, I don't see color in like a, you know, we're all equal type thing. I don't really think there's anything wrong with that, especially if you're making the effort to, cause I, cause I know what you mean, right. The, the saying, like, I don't see color, like you can take that and have so many interpretations of it, but knowing that you're not out here, like trying to judge everyone based off of that, the color that you see, cause we're, we're human beings, right. You, you see someone and you, I love the people like, I don't judge like that. It's human nature. Or not. So if you're out here trying to, you know, learn about things and inform yourself and things like that then yeah i don't see color because you're trying to improve and maybe you looking at maybe that's how your brain works or whatever but if it's like oh he's black he's gonna rob me that type of shit oh no get out of here or like oh you're you know what i'm saying any prejudice or type of like stereotype we don't have we don't have space for that so i think we all like during that interview too, were like the gears were turning actively. Like, what could we be doing? How can we be getting uncomfortable? Why aren't we going to other run clubs? What's, what's holding us back from stepping out of that comfort zone? Like, how did that make you feel like in that conversation or even like listening back to it right now? Yeah. I mean, that, Oh, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, I'm delayed. So it's on me. <laughs> Uh, I think for, for me, you know, it made me really think about, you know, where I live and, you know, um, so obviously I live in, I live in Boulder. And so maybe that's, it's not as diverse as other places, Boulder but, bubble. <laughs> exactly. But you know, what's preventing me from going to, to Denver, to other places and like engaging in different run communities. Right. And I mean, that's something that I enjoy about, um, you know, traveling is like engaging with the local communities there. So it's also just, you know, asking those questions of what can I be doing more from, you know, a local standpoint of, you know, where I'm based for, the majority of the year. And, you know, cause I think, you know, grassroots and starting local can, can make a, a pretty big impact. Yeah. I mean, listening to that entire interview, I just felt really guilty because I don't have a good answer as to why I don't travel across the bridge in Portland or to different um, suburbs outside of Portland and try to experience their run clubs. Um, so I don't feel like I have a good answer, but I think, asking ourselves like if we're okay getting uncomfortable and like how can we make ourselves feel uncomfortable is like a really good start and I think for me that is venturing out of my comfort zone and going to different areas and running with a bunch of different people because I've done it not I've done it before not on purpose so it's like if I've traveled for work somewhere sometimes I'll find random run clubs and I'll go running with them with no context of what part of the town they're in. But I'd say just from my own circular bubble of where I look on social media and who's introduced to me through different communities, it's all still very narrow. Right. And so I think like somehow stepping out of our bubble and like finding these other groups will just be really important. Um, but I don't think I have the, the right answer as to the best way to do that yet. Yeah, we get comfortable, right? It's like, oh, these are the people that I run with. This is where I run. I run at these times. Like we're ultra runners. We should be good at getting uncomfortable, right? Like that's why we sign up for these silly races. We we pride our we pride ourselves on being on being good at being at, at like dealing with that. And yet 
brawl-like, but we're also cozy. And, you know, I'm in my sweater with my tea and it's really easy to stay there and to not, to not have to branch out besides when you're pushed to branch out, when you're, when you're traveling for work or when you're in a new place, um, because you're, I don't know, you're visiting family or whatever it might be. So I think that that's a really interesting, um, I think that that asks a really interesting question. And obviously where you live is a huge part of that. Um, I've lived in, in very bubble communities, very white communities. And I've also lived in much more diverse communities um, as well. I feel like my urban exposure in San Francisco has been very different from where I've lived previously in Montana and in Washington and, and Wisconsin, you know, um, to me, that was a big, was, was a stretch, you know, was the biggest place I'd ever lived, um, moving to the Bay area a number of years ago, but I think it's been good to, to see and experience a different place, um, and to, to be involved in that. And one of the things that I've try to be involved with here in the city to help stretch me on that was there's an organization, which is obviously, this is different than our conversation called back on my feet which, um, works with, um, unhoused individuals to, um, but, but they center running as part of that. And it's been really cool to show up that, you know, like it's part of it. You show up, you go for your run. It's not, it's not a very big run, but you go for your run. They help with job placement. They help with temporary housing. Um, they provide running shoes. Um, they provide interview, like, like prepping for interviews and all that kind of stuff and getting job placements. Um, but they center running as a way to, um, kind of bring about change. And like, that was, you know, trying to get involved with that here in the city, um, starting pre pandemic and then trying to get back into it now has been a way that I've tried to try to stretch myself to, to run in a different place, to run with different people, to run with a different, a totally different community than the community I normally run with, um, to try to use this and to use running as the means of that thread that connects me to these people who have had a totally different life experience than, mm -hmm. than my own. And so it's, it's, in a way it's cool that we can use running as that, as that commonality, um, in order to step outside of our comfort zones because totally. we want to, we have to care about people. Yeah. And I think up until recently running was always like the easy sport to do, right. You just needed a pair of running shoes and you could go out and run. And so right now I'm thinking about how complex a lot of the races have become at entries and how expensive the entries are becoming and, and all of the lottery systems and how that is most likely resulting in an even less diverse population of people doing the races because I don't even know how to get into half the races anymore. Um, and so if someone's new to the sport and wanting to get into it the first time, but they have to pay, you know, over a hundred dollars to get into a lottery for a race, like that just feels like a very, like, a very hard barrier to get through. If it's your first race, like, I don't think you would do it. Yeah. It doesn't make it accessible. That's like, that's a huge barrier to entry as we, I mean, I spent 20 minutes ranting about it in the news section today. So it's like, yeah, it's things are complicated for every, like for everyone, but I cannot imagine trying to get into the sport with that as the, as the, like what has been set before you as the gates to clear for entry. Yeah, and so do you guys know if ultra sign up, uh, monitors like race, because it would be interesting to talk with big race organizations and see if they can actually account for that when they're allowing registrants and see if they can, you know, cap it at certain ethnic groups. I mean, it sounds like a little bit crazy to try to do, but I think it would be an interesting way to try to moderate like who gets into races and, and increase participation by women and by minorities. 
Yeah. yeah, I think so far that's not been a a, com- a common thing in race registration. It'd have to be an optional thing, if anything, right, to disclose right. gender and race, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to it should not like should definitely should not be mandatory. That can be very alienating. Um, but I do think that it'd be a very interesting thing um, to understand what what do, what does the population actually look like. Right. What is that? What is like, who is actually getting into races? Because I do think that, you know, like our focus has been like, we're getting all, more women in general, all, you know, quote unquote, we're working for all women. Mm-hmm. But as, as listeners have told us, all women doesn't always mean all women. Oftentimes that means white women. And so I do think that, you know, we need to do whatever we can um, to try to elicit, not just a change from a gender perspective, or a gender representation perspective, but what does it look like for traditionally like minority groups within the sport as well? And, and just, part of that starts with monitoring, I guess, but right. doing that in like a not like invasive way. Right. And it, just to answer your question, Keely, I just pulled up my ultra sign up um, profile and there's, I mean, obviously you ask and it can say, you know, male, female, or non-binary. So that's something that you can, you can click there, but there's nothing else kind of asking about um, race or ethnicity. So, Yeah. It'd be an interesting research topic. So any PhD students out there in uh, gender studies, cultural, something social, like, I don't know who would be doing that, but let's, uh, let's talk. Let's, uh, let's do a big, we could probably do it, get a survey study off the ground for that. But I, th- I think it would help, right? Like you gotta, you gotta like flip the needle mm-hmm. one way to make change. And I feel like part of that's gotta be, um, flipping the needle as far as, you know, as aggressively and as hard as we can in one direction to actually elicit that change. And some, some race directors are doing that from a gender perspective, as far as like trying to equal the lotteries, as far as like representation from, um, for both men and women, um, by either capping how many, um, like making it 50, 50, or making sure that the number of women in the lottery is represented in the start list, which I think is a very, is like, that should be a minimum threshold in my mind. Um, one thing I will say for really big races, like races like UTMB, this is not, this is not designed to make it equal, but because, um, because of how the applications work, oftentimes they're clearing houses for these big races in which the lottery isn't actually one big lottery. The lottery is oftentimes like a European lottery and an Asian lottery and a North American lottery and X number of spots behind the scenes are allocated to, to regions. And that might mean that France gets extra, extra things. Like that doesn't have to be equal, but oftentimes like, like part of why like races like UTMB have to do things like that potentially is because when there, like there was for, I think a time where there were so many Chinese athletes that were qualified for the UTMB lottery, that the lottery was going to skew to be very like that many, like many more entrants than normal would have been Chinese because there were many more entrants than normal that were qualified for the race. So the race can do whatever they want. They don't have to make it equitable. They, they don't have to make it, oh, we're going to divide this perfectly evenly or, or based on representation, but they, they are manipulating things behind the scenes. And I think that one transparency would be really good there so that we actually know how the lotteries are working if, if, if they're not transparent and many of them are not transparent. And then two, you know, like how can we increase diversity and representation via like, maybe, maybe that means by controlling the lottery. Mm-hmm. And not making it a perfect, you know, like we're just drawing numbers out of a hat type of thing. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, we know right now that they're not using that back end magician math to increase the number of women participants. So clearly they're not doing it to increase diversity. They're just using it right now to bucket out nationalities, which proves that there's a means to potentially do it in the future, but it's not not being done yet. 
Yeah. I mean, the whole thing feels a little bit, a little bit icky, but you know, I do think it's, it's an area that we've talked about a lot and we've praised many race directors for it. Like the high lonesome race directors for taking initiative for the hellbender race directors. We're taking an initiative here for the hard rock race directors and board. We're taking initiative here. And I think that we want to continue that in the sport. I think we're seeing greater representation, particularly from a gender perspective in the 50 K distance. But I think as races get longer, that's where we like are trying to work even harder to get more representation. Mm-hmm. And kind of, you know, transitioning back to, to uh, Richard's uh, interview um, talking about this is like, how, how do we use something as simple as running to create a platform for something bigger? And I think, you know, kind of we're, we're talking about this in, in its essence. And, you know, we're talking about diversity in sport and representation for women. We're trying to make a bigger difference in the world and include more people in that, empower them with this doing something hard, like running an ultra marathon. And hopefully that, you know, transcends into other you know areas of their life. Um, but something that was really awesome um, and we got to talk to Richard about was using his platform and their run crew for other causes. And so we can kind of transition to that part and let you guys hear about what, what the ISA run crew did. Your entire group knelt, um, for nine minutes and then in a busy intersection to commemorate George, George Floyd's death uh, by a Minneapolis police officer. And I think, you know, that's a way that you can, you know, show up not only for your local community, but an entire, you know, country's community. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I was, I just, it's kind of an open-ended question, not really a question, but just, can you, you know, talk us, talk us through that? Yeah. So yeah, uh, 2020, man, I, I feel like that was like 12 years ago, but, um, you know, the world was going to shit between the pandemic and like crazy racist all over the damn place. Like what the fuck is going on? And global running day was coming around. I don't even know what day it is. It's such a, like, yeah. talk about made up holidays, right? Everyone hates Valentine's day, global running day. I run every day. Anyway, um, global running day was coming and my buddy, Tim Downey, who's actually in Boulder with you, but, um, he hit me up in the, in, on, on the text message and was like, like, fuck running. Like what, <laughs> that's the last thing we need to uh, be doing on global running day and like let's raise awareness somehow like let's march right because everyone i don't know what was going on where y'all were from but every protests were every day in the cities of especially like new york and philly it, it was you know it, the streets were flooded with, with marches and protests and sometimes you know the looting and all that type of madness but shit was going on and he he wanted to use global running day as a as a space and a place to use running for a good cause and you know say less bro like let's let's go so we simultaneously planned runs or marches um at the same time him in new york me in philadelphia and i put the 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 bat signal out to philadelphia running philadelphia run community is weird man and like the clubs and the crews don't really like they they talk about community but people don't like come together and do shit so i was i i I'm never scared to put on an event or anything. That's what I do. Like I said, I've done parties before. So with me, it's like, hey, I'm putting this together. Come if you want. This is different because it has nothing to do with like me or my crew. I don't know how you feel about us, but this there's there's a bigger end game here. So oh, that day, man, I remember driving into the city. I live in New Jersey, like 15, 20 minutes from Philly. So I always have to drive over. And torrentially 
downpouring and like it looked like the world was going to end so i'm like fuck like i'm going to be marching down the parkway by myself <laughs> this is going to be the the worst march ever <laughs> first march worst march but i i showed up and it was about a group of like 20 25 people uh lots of different clubs and crews represented I didn't know most of these people. I'm not like Malcolm X civil rights leader. Like that's not really my lane. Uh, so I, I didn't even know what to do. It was just like a, Hey, um, we're going to do this. We're going to march down the parkway. I had no end game whatsoever, but <clears throat> maybe afterwards, Oh yeah. Freestyle. And I was like, afterwards, maybe we can all like go to the Rittenhouse park. It's a, like a bougie ass area of the, of the city and exchange like information. If you have any organizations that you might, um, you might know about, we can share those and everybody can like, just, I don't know, text each other and if, find places to donate, yada, yada, yada. That was the plan. March, talk, bye. See you later. So we're marching. Um, vibes, were, vibes and energy were great. And we get to Rittenhouse Square where we were about to um, just pool off and do the chatting and exchanging of information. John Lyons, a good friend of mine, he's a nutcase, but he, he's a great guy. Um, he comes up to me while we're approaching this intersection of 18th and Walnut. It's like the busiest damn intersection in Center City. And he's like, we're going to take a knee at the intersection and just disrupt traffic. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> I guess that's what we're doing. Like you, you, you know, I, I, there was really no time to discuss it or talk about it. Uh, there were cops all over the place. Cause like I said, protests were happening and John took a knee. I followed and the rest of the group just followed suit. And there were about 20 to 25 of us and we held up traffic for nine minutes. And let me tell you, kneeling on the pavement for nine minutes fucking hurts. But, you know, that the, the symbolism of it all, um, you don't you don't really care about the little bit of pain you're going through. And uh, yeah, we did that. Afterwards, the police officer pulled me to a side, pulled me aside and and everybody kind of stood and watched because they didn't know what the fuck was about to happen. Traffic's blocked for blocks for blocks and blocks down the road. And he's like, do you guys, is there anything else you guys want to do here? And I was like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Cause at that point people were not very friendly with the police. I'm not an irrational person. I understand that not every cop out there is a dickhead. And I was like, I mean, I guess we're going to go to city hall. Cause we had heard that there were other protests going on. So he got on his walkie at that point. Um, a female who was a photographer for runners world or a freelancer or something. She took pictures and asked what was going on. Uh, and that little bit of time that we were having that conversation, that police officer, I forget his name, Sergeant something, something he uh, had called a uh, bike escort for us to get from where we were to center city to continue marching, but he wanted us to be able to do it without anybody interrupting us or bothering us. So that was pretty awesome. When the officer was done talking to us, I kind of looked at everybody and like, I, like I said, I'm, I, I don't, I have no problem speaking in front of people, but I'm not Mr. Civil rights. And like, everyone was just kind of waiting for me to say something. So I'm like, look around. Like if you, if you see a photo of us kneeling, I'm like, look around. This is a, March about some fucked up shit that happened in our country brought to you by the running community. And it's all white people. This is what I go through every day. Like this is, this is, if you want to, if you want to see how, what representation looks like in the run world, this, this March <laughs> against like white supremacy and racism is it. 
I'm alone in this. And we got to another protest and we protested some more. That was not in the playbook, but it was a day of protesting for Global Running Day. And yeah, that's 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 how we ended up in runner's world. <laughs> <laughs> using, using our running to, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, amplify our voice. There it is. Yeah, I mean, I think something that's interesting here for all of us is that as runners, particularly with as runners with a growing platform, like I think it's like we almost in a way have like a responsibility to stand for something or kneel for something in -hmm. this case. And so, I mean, be it it diversity or inclusion or be it be environmental initiatives, like I think this is something like running, running can be. I mean, running is inherently selfish too. It's like my time in the woods by myself and my dog with my dog. Like it's very selfish, but at the same time, like it doesn't, it doesn't have to just be that it can be so much more. And I think that like, to me was a very powerful kind of like full circle idea of like what running can be. You can get uncomfortable. You can use it to branch out. You can use it to, to, uh, find connect common connections and you can use it, you know, particularly in our, in our cases with, with like a little bit of a platform or a big platform to, to share, to share messaging, to share important information. And I'm wondering how do you, like, do you feel that responsibility as runners, as, as professional runners in particular? I mean, absolutely. I feel like like you just said, Corinne, I mean, running can be so selfish. And I I have that thought quite frequently, like, why am I doing this? Like, is this why? just some, yeah, is it just some selfish, like, like have a bad day and I, like, I wake up at 5am and I text Corinne, like, what's the meaning of this? Sorry. What's the meaning of life? I'm going for a 20 mile run. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, but then there's got to be more. And I think the coolest way, um, you know, you can using these platforms and and trying to reach other people. I think they think that's the coolest way to be able to impact others and grow the sport, not from a personal gain standpoint, but from just a betterment of, you know, human society on a whole. And maybe that's naive of me, but I genuinely, I genuinely believe that. Um, And something as simple as running, I think can, can provide that, whether it's, you know, self, self acceptance and, you know, being fulfilled and be feeling powerful in oneself, then that can kind of increase and and grow throughout a community. So absolutely. It's something that, that I think about. So then with this, it's like, then how in the world do I, you know, help and, and become more diverse and, you know, reach other audiences and encouraging, encourage running outside of this bubble at which I live in, you know, like, doing some collapse. Like what about, you know, it's a run crew training for something like the Gorge Waterfall 50K or, you know, something like this, or, you know, certain races have, you know, Gina Lucrezzi, she's going to be the, the, she's the RD now for Lake Sonoma. They have a women's only half marathon. So like something like that, we can kind of get other people into, you know, the people that aren't, you know, the people that are already in the sport, you know, experiencing trail running and what that looks like. And, you know, I think it starts with these conversations and then having ideas, us buying plane tickets to Philly and then see what happens. (laughs) Yeah. And I think Richard speaks to this really well too. I think he highlights the fact that we're allowed to ask for help when it comes to broadening our knowledge around diversity. And I think that same notion holds true for when we want to broaden our, our reach and broaden 
who we interact with, right? We're allowed to ask him or other groups we know for help to expand our circles because it's hard to expand your circle when you're in your circle. (laughs) And so if we can continually ask people to help us broaden our circle so that we can learn and that we can help and we can show um, showcase these these new sports to people who might not know about them like that would be pretty awesome yeah that continual search for representation or sharing sharing the sport with different communities I'm thinking of like how brands can be actively involved here and how the brands that we work with can can do this and I feel I feel fortunate that working, although I run for Adidas Terex, the Adidas team in general, like because of their run clubs that are, that are metropolitan based that are, that are, you know, in these big cities, they've tried, you know, that is something that they're working on of doing like, okay, we're taking the Adidas run crew to the trails. Like we're doing a trail day or going to a trail race. And I think that is so cool to have that run club. That's, you know, that generally shows up to half marathons or marathons, you know, whatever it might be to be like, Hey, we're actually going to go do this all together which I think is really like a big way for it to be welcoming to other people too, to be like, Oh, I'm going to go do this with people who I, I run with, who I know, who I trust, um, and be introduced to new people and new places. Um, it's like, I feel like that's very safe, like a safe intro in that way, but to bring, to bring people from, you know, from these areas that might not normally get out to the trail to the trail. And I, I really, I'm appreciative of run clubs that are brand affiliated or not doing that and making that part of their thing. So we need Issa run crew to come to the trail. We're going to, we're going to sign them up for a trail race. They don't even know it yet. I was just going to say, I think it's very interesting then talking about brands because not all of them are highlighting the underrepresented groups in the sport. Well, anyways. And so obviously if you look at a traditional outdoor magazine, you're not going to see large amounts of underrepresented people in those ads. Right. And so I think Richard really touches on this is that brands can do it in an authentic way or they can do it in an inauthentic way. And I think by really investing in athletes who are in these underrepresented groups and telling their true stories and, and showcasing that they care about their story and they care about the person that will gain the credibility of the audience instead of just all of a sudden, you know, starting a campaign that increases their diversity without actually telling the story of why and who these people are and why they want, why it's important and all of these things. And so, yeah, I think it's just an interesting space because brands you can tell are, are jumping on the diversity bandwagon. And I think some are doing it correctly and some of them are not yeah, doing are, it. Are well. inauthentic, I think at times Completely. is what it is. It reads yeah. as tokenism and, be, and and being inauthentic. And I think that that's I would not want to be in the marketing shoes right now, but I do think that it's like they like it needs to be it needs to be something that's being actively addressed and actively thought about and um it but but done in a way that is actually supportive of these athletes and their communities um and not and not just a brand grab, which it feels like it feels so much like a brand grab half the time. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the main thing that we get from Richard's story and his run crew is that authenticity and that he's, you know, kind of to go back to that quote from the very beginning is that that is what is draws people to his run crew is that he's accepting no matter race, ethnicity, you know, religion or gender. And I really hope that, you know, everyone can go out and watch this segment story featuring Richard and his It's a Run crew and kind of get that feel for the community. And hopefully it inspires you to kind of take more action on, you know, on your own community level. Okay. So last but not least, our Society Slam brought to you by Aura Ring. I'm out in Flagstaff, Arizona. 
um, at altitude. I was in Tahoe for a couple of days before I came out here. So a couple more days at altitude, I'm heading into a training camp, um, with my Adidas Terex team. We're going to drop down in elevation to Sedona, which I'm very excited about for some warm desert running. Um, but I'm wearing my aura ring in part because I wanted to really track, you know, if I was recovering coming up to altitude, if I was sleeping well, coming up to altitude, some of you remember that I had a weird health scare a couple of weeks ago in which I got put on massive doses of prednisone. Um, and I was not sleeping at all for a good 10 days because I was on steroids, but it's been cool to kind of see those numbers recover to feel like I've gotten to altitude and that I'm, I'm in a good spot, that I'm feeling good. And that the, the numbers are backing that up. Um, we're going to do an episode down the road here where we deep dive into some of this stuff, but it's been really cool to, to have this easy wearable, um, that's allowing me to track what's going on a little bit. And at least more than anything, confirm I'm feeling bad or confirm I'm feeling good. Um, and kind of just monitor what's going on, um, in a way that isn't necessarily prescriptive, but is just allowing me to make some good decisions kind of week to week more than day to day. Yeah. What do you guys think? I was just going to say the ring is also a lot less bulky than like a Garmin and the watch. So I kind of love it. You forget you're wearing it. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, so it's nice to sleep in. I don't sleep in like <laughs> I wear a big, I wear a big Garmin watch, the biggest that they make because I like the map feature. Um, it looks insane, but I can't sleep in it. It drives me bonkers. Yeah, like that, those big guys. So I, uh, this has been really nice to wear something that I can wear all the time that I can wear when I'm sleeping and not feel like it's get, getting in the way of anything. Yeah. Um, I have a society slam. So this is a very short one, but it's um, in regards to our episode last week. And I had someone reach out saying, this is a society slam. So I I figured I would read it because it was beautifully written. Um, And so this person is recovering from having um, a procedure done. And so they're not technically injured, but they can't currently walk very fast, let alone run. And so while they were listening to our episode, they said they burst into tears because we were talking about accepting that your body just needs rest. And this person was feeling like they needed to find all these other exercises to push their body through while they couldn't run or walk. Um, When at the end of the day, after listening to our episode, she realized that all they needed to do was rest. And so she was really, really happy that we brought this episode out in such a timely fashion for her to be able to accept that she just needed to rest for a little bit while she was um, recovering from this procedure. And um, yeah, that's, I kind of just wanted to showcase that because I hope that we helped a lot of other people come to those terms too, because it's not easy to come to those terms by yourself. Mm, That's amazing. I love that hugs we're giving virtual hugs out to everyone (laughs) who may or may not be injured right now who needs them and speaking of injuries and recovery um you know maybe if you're going through something you can check out the my segment story film that Strava did I was super happy that you know even when I had this big goal and an unexpected injury came my way that Strava decided to stick with me and you know, still record the kind of this bigger story about injury recovery and what that looks like for athletes and battling with self-identity. And I've received so much positive feedback from the film. Um, Luke Webster and Cody Coleman here in Boulder, they, they just did an amazing job kind of telling this story. And so one particular comment I'll just read, um, I just, I just want to read it. So I just watched your Strava segment video and wanted to say it was amazing. It's so incredibly well done and it's so moving. Um, she's a runner. So she said it was beautifully created and the strength and honesty you shared is just so powerful. My husband even watched it too. And he's lacing up his running shoes right now. (laughs) 
Yes. It's really cool. If you have not yet seen it, um, we're going to link um, where the Strava segment films and articles are coming out in the show notes. So please go check it out. They're really, really cool. We're going to continue to share more stories from those Strava segments in the coming weeks. We're really excited. We've recorded some good interviews and we cannot wait to share them with you. But in the meantime, if you want to get a hold of us, you know how to do it. Slide into our DMs, shoot us an email, find us on Twitter, whatever you need to do. Um, we're really excited to hear from you and we cannot wait to welcome you back in just a couple of weeks. Thank you.